All right. So last week we started what we call, or yeah, what we've called um, identity. Identity, yeah. So basically, an identity series, um, an identity series we are on currently. All right. And then we, we are, we we are the focus of this series, right, is to explore who we are in Christ Jesus and and pretty much pretty much understand our identity and why this is super important is that like I shared with us last week one of the first things the devil attacks in a person's life is his his or her identity because the moment the enemy can the moment the enemy can um can distort the image you have of yourself then he has won he has won the victory over you he has won the war rather over you and it doesn't matter how much how powerful, right? The things God has promised you are. The moment the enemy can blindside you, can blind you rather to that reality, or the moment the enemy can take your attention off that um, reality, then he has defeated you. And so, if you see, if you see, for instance, um, someone who is supposed to be a, a a prince, right? But the person doesn't know he's a prince. No matter how much heritage the person has. He will not be able to access it, all the wealth, all the influence, all the privileges. He will not experience it because he does not know that he's a prince. So the knowledge of our identity is prerequisite to fulfilling our mandate on earth. And I showed us last week how that um, the Bible says, you know, Genesis, when we looked at Genesis extensively, and please encourage everyone to, um, to do that, to um, listen to the podcast if you're not here last week. But we explored Genesis carefully, and we saw that when God made man he said the bible explains that um he made other creatures and all of that and blessed them but when it came to man he says so for that for other for other animals right for other creatures he um the bible says that they, they were they, god designed them to produce after their kind but when he came to man he told man he created man in his own image meaning after his own kind and the next thing we see is that he gave man a dominion mandate Meaning the key to us manifesting our dominion mandate in any area of our lives is the knowledge of our identity, who we are. And so I strongly believe that this identity series is super important and to help us, um, it will help us concentrate on who we are. You know, you know, I, I, I keep saying this and I'm going to say it again that one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to create a different identity or suggest to you a different identity of yourself. And let's even look at it from a natural point of view. You know, for instance, if a, if a, you know, my, my wife is a teacher, right? So um, I feel, I feel so many gist about, you know, school and children. And I've been learning a lot from just her, our conversations and I, of her interactions with children. And she says one of the effective ways of correcting a child is by reminding the child who he is. So for instance, a, a, for instance, a child, a child misbehaves and, and you, he say, you, you tell the child and say, why do you do that? Don't you know you are a responsible child? Responsible people don't do this, okay? Instead of saying, you fool, or you dummy, or you something, instead of insulting the child, that point always point the child to the child's identity. It says, don't you know you are, you are a priest? Don't you know you are a Christian? Don't you know you are a believer? It is the same thing that God does with us, even in scriptures, that the way he points us back, the way he corrects our, um, our character flaws or misalignments, is by re reminding us of who we are. So the Bible says that 
if you read first Corinthians chapter um chapter chapter three and chapter six, right? When Paul was addressing the church in Corinth concerning you know fornication and adultery and sexual immorality that was going on in the church, Paul said, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that Christ dwells in you? Don't you know that whoever um joins himself with the harlot becomes one flesh? Don't you know? If you see it, every point in time, Paul was pointing them back to an identity that they 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 um, have in Christ Jesus. So this series is aimed at that to really point us back to who we are in Christ. Okay, so that we can act properly. You know, so, someone is afraid of the future, and then you are telling the person, "Don't you know your father owns the future? Don't you know you are the son of the one who owns tomorrow?" So you should you don't need to be afraid. You know, someone has depression and is anxious. Um, and he feels feels defeated. And you tell the person, don't you know you are more than a conqueror? Listen to me. I um, Knowledge and, and the revelation of identity is probably one of the biggest gaps Christians are facing at the moment. All right? And um, it's super important we know who we are in Christ so that we can adequately manifest our, our what's it called, our dominion mandate. Okay? So please join me in today, uh, today's Bible study where we want to, we want to look at at a topic I call in Christ. And this topic is just aimed at showing us doctrinally and practically our life in Christ, right? And let, let me just share something that my pastor used to say, and I, I, I found out to be true from scripture as well, that, you know, if you look at the writings of Paul, Paul typically starts his letters by establishing a doctrinal fact. And then he now goes on to explain the practical application of that of that um, truth, of that fact, okay? So, for instance, you read the book of Ephesians, he starts by, you know, and Paul starts by some mysterious things, Ephesians chapter, from chapter 1 to chapter 3. He talks about, oh, we have been predestined in Christ, we have been created for good works, we have been blessed in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and how we've come into the kingdom, how it is by grace, not by works, all of that. And then, at, at that point, it sounds almost, almost vague, it just sounds like what is this guy talking about? Because he's trying to establish doctrinally from, from scriptures what he's going to explain next. And after he does that, in chapter from chapter 4 to chapter 6, he begins to go into practical application. So he says, since you're in Christ, you know, no, you, don't, you, you no longer should lie because you are now in Christ Jesus. He now says, oh, he has given to us the ministry gifts for, for the people of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Um, you know, he goes on to explain, husbands, love your wife. Um, wives submit your, to your husband, for this represents, you know, our union with Christ. He goes on to say our armor is not, um, I'm sorry, goes on to explain the full armor of Christ. So what I'm saying is that there's first the establishment of doctrine, and then there's an explanation of the practical application. So that's what I'm going to do today. So um, the first, our introduction will be to show us from scripture that we are in Christ. And there are several scriptures, and I am time will permit us to read all of them. So I just picked um, a few of them, maybe I think three of them, to just explain to us that we are in Christ and to show you from scripture that you are in Christ. And I'm so certain that a lot of us have read these scriptures before. Um, so these scriptures wouldn't be entirely new to many of us, right? Um, but I just want to go over it again and let's look at scriptures together. All right. So remember, this is a Bible study. I will really love our uh, indulgence and I would, um, you know, we'll take our time to read scripture together. Okay, let's proceed. Oh, I didn't even ask. Please confirm to me that you can hear me. I, I didn't do that today. So please confirm that you can hear me on Zoom and on Mixed LR. 
let me know that you are with me. You can hear me loud and clear. All right. So you can drop a comment or you can just give me a thumbs up and let me know you can hear me. And then we proceed. Anyone confirming for me? Zoom, Mixer, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Touch, please give me a thumbs up. Let me let me know or drop a comment in the chat if you can hear me so that I can proceed. Okay, good. I see a thumbs up on Zoom. Thank you, Faith. All right, also a message. Yes, we can. Okay, great. Thank you, Chidima. All right, so Mixalar, just also confirm from your end and I'm moving on. Okay, so let us read. Okay, good. I see. I see thumbs up there. Thank you. So you guys can hear me. Awesome. So let us read um, Ephesians chapter two, verse four to verse six. And please, we'll read. Um, let, let's follow this carefully together, right? Ephesians chapter four, chapter two. I beg your pardon. Ephesians chapter two, verse four to verse six. So the Bible says, I'm reading from the King James version. It says that, but God, you know what, let me, let me, ah, let me just, let me read from verse one so that it gives us proper context because verse four starts with a but and um, that leaves out some information. So from verse one, and you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirits that now works in the children of disobedience. Verse three, among whom also we all have had our conversation, that's our lifestyle, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, but and, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse four says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, he says, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. God loved us so much that even when we're dead in sin, he came and he quickened us together with Christ. And then he explains that it is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6 says, and had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places where in Christ Jesus. I'll take verse 5 and verse 6 again. It says, even when we're dead in sins, so we're dead in sins, in, the, in sin, basically, under, in, under the sin nature. It says, and then God quickened us together with Christ. Let me ex explain, because Paul is explaining two experiences, right? He says, first of all, we're dead in sins, and then what God did was to first quicken us, that is, make us alive together with Christ Jesus, so that the same way Christ resurrected from the dead was the same was the same way also we resurrected from the dead all right so he quickened us the word quickened there means to make alive he made us alive together with christ and i want uh, i shared this with us several several probably even last year but let, let me just make a detour at this point to explain something very quickly all right and please don't lose our, um don't lose the flow of thoughts but i want to make a make a quick transition to romans chapter eight i i i didn't plan this in the notes, but let me just read it out first. So Romans chapter 7, not verse, no, not 8. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 and verse, from verse 1 to 3. It says, Know ye not, brethren, that for, for I speak to them that know the law, 
how that the law has has dominion over a man as long as he lives don't forget the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives and we were under the law and because we're under the law sin had the liberty to reign over us okay um verse 2 says for the woman who which has a husband is bound by law to her husband so long as he lives so as long as the husband and wife are alive they are bound together in that marriage he says but if the husband is dead she is loosed from the law of her husband but that means if the husband dies or even if the other woman dies um they are free the other person that is alive is freed from the from the covenant of that um marriage okay verse 3 now says so then if while her husband leaves she's married to another man she will be called an adulteress but if her husband be dead she is free from that law so that she's no adulteress though she be married to another man simply saying that because they are bound and this is part of the marriage covenant that by god's design now there should be no reason why they should be separated except through death and if someone one of the spouse should die one of the either the husband or the wife should die then the other person that is alive is free from that covenant to go and marry another marry someone else but as long as the person um, is alive and uh, let's say the husband for instance as long as the husband is alive and the wife tries to go and marry another man should be considered an adulteress now what does this mean what was paul trying to explain he was trying to explain the our relationship with the law he was saying that we were married to the law and because we're married to the law jesus christ could not separate us because it was a marriage covenant he could not come and marry us because we are already bound to another covenant now what did he do he thought about it and this is the genius of, of jesus this is the genius of god's wisdom that god said how do i separate these people from their marriage to the law because if i don't separate them from the law sin will always keep having dominion over them so what are we going to do so god said you know what there's a, there's only one way to separate them from this marriage union and it is to kill them you know says first of all i can't kill the law because the law came from me and i cannot kill it it can be ineffective only when it is separated right from from us so god says well if i can't kill the law then i will kill kill my people or i'll, I'll kill the believer follow my, my illustration now i'll kill the believer but then what will i now do I will raise him back to life again but this time he will not be bound to the law he, he will not have the liberty to marry marry me and that's exactly what god did so the bible says that in christ right it says that in when we're married to the law we were now um, you know romans it says we're crucified with christ we're buried together with christ so that act of of being dead together with christ separated us from the grip of the law and then now let's go to Ephesians where we where we veered off from. So, and then you will now understand what verse five is saying. He says that we who were dead in sins, he has now quickened us together with Christ. So he resurrected us together with Christ, and now we are in union with Christ Jesus. All right. So I said made all that detail to explain why we had to be quickened with Christ. Okay. And then verse six. So the first action is that we were crucified with the first action sorry that just um, that paul is explaining here is that we were quickened with christ meaning meaning we're made alive we're brought alive to christ but you notice also that jesus christ did not only resurrect but he ascended the resurrection was the victory over sin eh? all right victory over sin and the flesh and separation from the law 
The ascension is what now gave us authority in the realms of the spirit. Okay, so look at verse six. He says, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the second thing God did in Christ Jesus was to make us sit in heavenly places. So not only did he resurrect us or did he quicken us, but he also made us ascend. All right. So we ascended together with Christ Jesus. And this is not the focus for today, but I just want to state quickly the importance of ascension. You know, in the realm of the spirit. Now, now notice what this says. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Colossians explains to us, and we're going to read it soon, that we're seated far above with Christ Jesus. The importance of this is because in the realm of the spirit, your authority and dominion is equivalent to the heights at which your throne is exalted. All right, and that is why Lucifer in, in, in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, when, when Isaiah and Ezekiel spoke about Lucifer's fall, what part of what Lucifer wanted to do was to exalt his throne above the stars. The reason why I wanted to exalt it above the stars, representing above the angels, was because he wanted to exercise authority over the angels. That was his selfish desire, okay? Because he understood that the higher your throne is in the realm of the spirit, the more authority you can, you can demonstrate. And the Bible says, Jesus' throne is exalted far above principalities and power. And actually, there is no other throne exalted above the throne of Jesus. And this is what the Bible says, that we are seated together with him on that throne. It is just mind-blowing. So this shows you the authority and the access that we have because of our position with Christ Jesus, right? However, all these wonderful things we are saying today only find application where, look at it, verse 6, it says, and has raised up together, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The only way you are able to, the only way we are able to sit in heavenly places is when we are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And so this is first of all to show you that we are in Christ Jesus, all right? And that there is no other, there is no other provision for our existence outside Christ. There is no other provision because outside of Christ Jesus, we'll still be dead in sins, meaning we will not have the vital life of Christ Jesus within us. And which is what verse, um, verse five says. It says, even when we were dead in sins, he now quickened us with Christ. So it was our union to Christ. It's our union to Christ and our, our immersion in Christ that gives us access to the resurrection power of Christ Jesus. The moment anybody excludes himself for, from the environment, from the atmosphere of Christ, that same moment, right, he begins to partake, he or she begins to partake of death. So we are in Christ Jesus, all right? So I want to show us another scripture that shows us we are in Christ Jesus. Um, um, oh, sorry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. We quoted this um, just a few seconds ago. So we're going to read it properly now. Colossians chapter 1, chapter 3, I beg your pardon. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Now look at what this says. And, and from the explanation we, we have gotten from Ephesians, this would make um, a lot of sense to us. He says, if then if ye then be risen with Christ, he says, seek 
those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3 says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So your life is hid with Christ in God. Meaning if somebody is looking for, for you, let's say your name is Samuel, somebody is, and Samuel is a believer. Somebody is looking for Samuel, looking for Samuel. If you want to find Samuel, you will find him in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus in God. That is the location of our, that is our spiritual location, all right? And it's super important we know this, that we are in Christ Jesus. We are not somewhere, we are not in, in, um, in, in, in a weak person. We are not in a, in a frail system. We are in Christ Jesus and everything he embodies. In fact, Ephesians chapter, um, chapter one now explains that he's the head of all principalities and powers, right? And that is who we are in. So the Bible says that we are in Christ Jesus. But I want to break something down and show you. It says that if you are risen with Christ, then set, then seek those things which are above. So the Bible begins to explain to us um, what our priorities should be because of the location we find ourselves. So if you are in the world, for instance, your priority will be how to make yourself feel good, how to get more money, how to build more houses, how you can outsmart your, your colleague at work, how you can, um, you can destroy your competitor in business. That would be your focus. But the Bible says that because you've changed your spiritual location, your priority automatically should change. In fact, verse two says, you should set your affection, meaning, you know, affection is, is such an emotional word that you set the things you desire should be the things that are where Christ is. What this means to us is that the moment, because of our identity in Christ, our priorities should change and our, our direct, the direction of our energies should also, also change. Praise Jesus. So it says, because we're in Christ Jesus, that we set affections on, excuse me, on the things above and not on the things on earth. It says, because we, were, we are dead and our life is now hidden in Christ. Again, it says we are dead and our, lives, our life is now hidden in Christ. Just like what um, uh, Ephesians says, where, where we just read, um, it says that outside of Christ Jesus, we will be dead. What that simply means is that the only way we have life, the only way you and I, our, and every other person as a believer, is alive in the sight of God is because we're in Christ. So in the sight of God, outside of Christ, there is no life. You might be moving about on earth, but you might just be a walking dead person. You might... You might even be a millionaire or a billionaire, you, but you are a dead millionaire or a dead billionaire. You might be a president or a governor or a celebrity, whatever it is, but you are dead in the sight of God. Life only exists when you are in Christ. And thanks be to Jesus that we are in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. So one more scripture to just establish that we are in Christ Jesus. Okay. So remember, this is our identity. We are in Christ Jesus. You know, you know. Part of the part of the ways um, you can describe me now, for instance, is that I am a Nigerian, okay? And I'm a Nigerian for, for I can be Nigerian for several reasons, right? Or either by birth, or in my case, I'm a Nigerian because I was born here, thankfully. Um, there are other people who become Nigerians by staying a, for by staying long in a country, right? And then some are offered, you know, diplomatic citizenships and all of that. But either ways, your location 
your your identity gives you access to your location that's what i'm trying to say so because i'm a nigerian i can always come to nigeria whenever i want to for someone who is um who is um an american you can always go to america anytime you want to so your identity is your location sorry is factored into your identity it is the same thing also that because we are in christ we have now, now we don't we don't visit and leave christ we are now domiciled and we dwell in christ jesus all right so last scripture for introduction is second corinthians chapter five so i'm reading all this to establish doctrina doctrinally yeah, that we are in christ jesus and this is a very popular verse of scripture we all should be familiar with second corinthians corinthians chapter 5 verse 15. Okay, read from verse 15 to verse 17. And he died for all that they which live, that they which live should henceforth live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. And this is a scripture we will not have time to explain today, but this literally sums up our Christian experience that Jesus Christ died for you so that you not live for yourself. So if you see a believer who is living for himself and says, you know, and, and this is why, again, I keep saying this, we must be careful with certain things the world says that sounds, quote unquote, good and self-empowering, but, but is detrimental to the lifestyle of the kingdom. Because the world says, do what makes you happy. That is a very dangerous statement to make uh, and a dangerous philosophy to live by as a believer. You cannot do what makes you happy. Because at times, many times God will lead you to do things that you completely will not even like. But you have to put your flesh under to obey it, all right? So the Bible says you Christ died for you so that you not live for yourself again. So if you see a believer that is living for himself, all the money is for himself. All, the, all his considerations for taking up an opportunity is for himself. Every time he wants to, even taking up a leadership position, is not because he wants to serve, it's because he wants to, he wants to empower himself or wants to um, boost his CV and he wants to, everything is just self, self-directed. That is a believer that doesn't understand the reason why Christ Jesus died. All right, so it says he died for all that they which live should henceforth should not henceforth live unto themselves, but should live unto him who died for, for them and rose again. All right, so let's go to the next verse. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. He says, Yeah, we yeah, though we knew, um, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet. Now, henceforth, know we him no more. Meaning, at some point, we used to, we, we used to estimate Christ on the flesh. But no, now, we, we no longer do that. And, he, and Paul was saying, don't estimate people based on the flesh. Don't know them after their physical qualities. Know them by their spiritual identity. All right? Verse 17, where I'm going to say is, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Notice, he says, if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature, meaning that the, the moment you step into the economy of Christ, the moment you step into the environment of Christ, the moment you step into the person of Christ, the moment you step into the, into the, um, the spiritual context called Christ, that automatically your, your previous existence, your, your previous, previous identity ceases to exist. You are now given a new identity, and the Bible says you, you are now a new creature. Listen, there is no modification. And I, I don't think we have really exhausted the, con the application of this scripture as popular as it is. But the Bible says that, yes, you might have been 
You might have been 40 years old when you came to know God. But the moment you step into Christ, you are a new creature. What it means is that even you yourself have to study to know yourself because there's nothing familiar with your old identity that is being, there's nothing from your old identity that is being carried into your new identity. You are an entirely new creature. You are not a modification of the previous one. You're not a version three or version two. You're not, you not an iOS update. You're not an Android update. You are an entirely new software. Do you understand what I'm saying? They did not just say, oh, let's upgrade you from iPhone 6 to iPhone 10 or, or iPhone 13. They, God created an entirely new phone in that sense. You know what I mean? So as, more, as soon and as long as you are in Christ, you are, you are a new creature. And no matter how old you are in the faith, you are a new creature in the sight of God. So if you've been a Christian for 25 years, you are still a new creature. As long as your, your spiritual location is still in Christ. What I suggest to us is that the moment... For those who are not in Christ, excuse me, for those who are not in Christ, the Bible says, refers to them as old creatures. <laughs> the term alone sounds scary. And the Bible refers to them as old creatures and um, that's who they are by identity. So you are in Christ. And I want this to really, really, really sink into your heart that you are in Christ Jesus. You are not just a random specimen existing on the earth. You are a a, a deliberately crafted entity in Christ Jesus. And your identity only stems from Christ Jesus. And let me just encourage us and say here that whenever the enemy tries to bring up um, suggestions or thoughts or whatever it is that don't reflect who we are in Christ Jesus, always remind, remind yourself that you are in Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. When the temptation to do things that, that are... Uh, 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 convenient to your old nature, right? When those temptations come up, remind yourself that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. So it says, all things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. All things, your identity, your way of thinking, your behavior, your lifestyle, your friends, everything. The moment you step into Christ Jesus, everything becomes new again. Your priorities become new. Hallelujah. All right. So I hope with these few points of mine, I've been able to convince you and not confuse you that you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we are, in, we are in Christ. And I wanted to establish this firmly because when we give our lives to Christ Jesus, right? We, not only do we give our lives to Christ Jesus, he gives our, his life also to us and then he includes us into an economy called Christ. The economy called Christ is, is, is filled with several possibilities. It's filled with several, um, several dynamics and privileges that, that our identity gives us access to. And this is entirely the act of God's grace, not of works like Ephesians says, least any man should boast, okay? So now that we know we are in Christ, what are some of the ways God identifies us in Christ? And, I'm, and, and this is, thank you, Jesus. This is on a general note. When I mean general now, I mean for everybody that is in Christ, right? There's a general identity that every believer sustains. Now, there's also the unique identity that each and every one of us sustain in Christ Jesus, all right? And we're going to look at this unique dimension of unique identity next week. But I want us to look at the uh, two of the general identities, all right? Um, but what that means is everyone in Christ has is considered a particular way. 
whether you are called to be a prophet, a music minister, an entrepreneur, whatever it is, anywhere you are called to, you are considered a particular way. Now, when we come to the specific or, or what I call unique identities, that's when we begin to we begin to differentiate and say, oh, someone has called to is called to raise leaders, another person is called to minister in music, another person is called to um to be a business um business person another person is called to be a pastor another person is called to whatever it is all right so those are unique identities we are not all called to be the same thing in that unique sense however there are certain um descriptions that god calls every single one of us and i want us to look at just two of them today oh wow okay time is going okay right so i just want us to look at two of them um today and they're very simple and i really would want us to engage so i'm going to ask us at some point you know, for the practical application of this. And this is now moves us to the practical, you know, side of, of our conversation today. All right, so the first thing I want us to look at is that we are ambassadors in Christ, all right? We are ambassadors in Christ. Every single one of us are ambassadors in Christ. You know, contrary to the world system, um, we are, not everybody in the country, <clears throat> excuse me, not everybody in a country is an ambassador. You know, an ambassador is a diplomatic position and, you know, um, people are being selected for, for such roles, all right? However, in Christ, every one of us, there is no, nobody is, no, there's nobody that is not an ambassador. Every single one that is in Christ Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. So let us look at this from scripture. Um, okay, Second Corinthians chapter... Sorry, Second Corinthians chapter five, right? Which is where we just we read last. So I'm going to continue our reading from um, verse seventeen. So Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen. Hallelujah. All right, Second Corinthians chapter five and seventeen. It says that therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. And he says that all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So God reconciled us to himself and entrusted us with the responsibility to do the same thing that he did to us for other people. And that is reconciling other people back to God. All right. So already this suggests that everyone who Everyone who becomes a believer is already indebted to Christ and he ought to bring other people to become believers. Do you understand? That means evangelism is a universal, is a universal um, instruction for everybody. All right? Let's continue. He says, um, and has given us all the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses upon them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation or the message of reconciliation. Now then, meaning as a consequence of this, look at verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, meaning because of the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to every single believer, that automatically makes us ambassadors of Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, that you be reconciled to God. So the Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. And this is one of the very strong identities we sustain in Christ Jesus. 
that every believer that is in Christ is regarded as an ambassador. God doesn't just see you as somebody trying to um, make money, pay your house rent, pay your children's school fees, buy a car, build your house, and then go. God looks at you as an ambassador. And an ambassador is one who represents his or her country, right, in another country, okay? If you read Philippians chapter 3, and I believe it's 20, the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. So we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. However, we are domiciled on earth because God has sent us as ambassadors here on earth. It is the same way, and we, you know, we explained this when we looked at the series, um, the series, what was the title of the series again? I think sent one or something like that. We looked at the series like this, right? But we explained that an ambassador is, so for instance, an amb the ambassador of Nigeria to America, to the United States of America, even though he is a Nigerian, would not live in Nigeria. He would have to live in America because that is the country in which he's serving, he's representing Nigeria in. Do you understand that? And he stays in that country. It is the same way, the reason, I mean, I believe part of the reason why we are not in heaven right now, we are physically domiciled on earth is because God wants us to represent him here on earth. So we are, represent, we are representatives of God's kingdom, okay? And every believer is called to be to represent God's kingdom on the earth. I represent God's kingdom is a huge responsibility because number one, you cannot represent a kingdom you are not familiar with. Okay. Secondly, is you cannot um, represent a kingdom whose you cannot represent a kingdom that you are not a citizen of. Do you understand what I mean? And even for 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 people that are, are awarded um, diplomatic, I don't know, ambassadorship or something like that. They have to be first made citizens of that country so that they can represent the country in other countries. All right. So an unbeliever obviously cannot be an ambassador, meaning that it is a huge privilege and a huge responsibility for us to be ambassadors for Christ. Because one, we are privileged enough to belong to God's kingdom. And then secondly, God is entrusting us. You know what it means to represent? Imagine, imagine. Imagine the Queen of England, right, sending someone to represent her, meaning the person has to be able to communicate on her level, has to be able to ex ex um, exercise responsibilities on her level, and there's just so much responsibility, you know, attached attached um, to that. Hallelujah. However, you know, God's God's, and, and this is why God is merciful that. When God gives us a responsibility, he doesn't expect us to carry it on our own strength, all right? When he gives us a responsibility, mm. he supplies the grace, <clears throat> the grace, the grace, rather, I beg your pardon, supplies the grace to execute that responsibility. You understand that? And so we are ambassadors for Christ, and it's a huge responsibility as well as a huge privilege to represent God on the earth, meaning somebody can walk up to you and God would be confident that you are in that situation because he knows that whatever you tell that person is what he would have told that person. That the reason why God doesn't need to come physically on the earth is because you are here. Why would God come from leave heaven and come down to earth when you are already here? You are his ambassador. And, you know, representing God is not, a, is not limited to, to the traditional fivefold ministry. Like I said, it is for every single person, meaning that every sphere of influence or every circle of influence you find yourself is an opportunity to represent God. And this is why, as believers, we must know that our business is beyond just a business. 
Our places of work, our career is beyond just a career. Our organizations is beyond just an organization. It's a platform for us to represent Christ. You know, and I, there's something I really thank God. I have observed in my own life, this is my own personal testimony, that every single place I have worked, that God has always made me, by his grace now, has always made me to represent him in, in very specific ways. You know, my last place of work, I remember... I remember a, a lady, my, my, my boss, one day she said to me, I said, Victor, this was about, this was probably like two or three months after I started working. He said, Victor, I now know why God wanted you to, to, um, to join this company. He said, it was because of me. And I mean, there's a lot of story behind that I won't go into. But she said, it is because of me that God sent you to join this company. I was just an, an intern to, for, for heaven's sake. But I realized that beyond the salary, beyond the experience I'm getting, there are there's something God wants me to do. And you know, when you have this mentality, your approach to work changes, your approach to situations automatically changes because somebody may come up one day, come up to you and just say, this life self, I'm just tired of it. Automatically, you know that this is a moment to represent God in this person's life. And you begin to encourage the person, begin to speak to the person because you know you're an ambassador. Let me tell you something. God is banking on you seriously to tell this, tell somebody about him. God is banking on you to represent him in the life of someone. Somebody comes to you and the person has been cheated several times by previous business partners and his hope has been, been dashed. He doesn't have confidence in humanity again. He doesn't even believe they are good people. And then suddenly he stumbles on you by, by divine coincidence. God expects you to represent him as a businessman to that, to that fellow. Such that if, if God were to come and do business with that person, it will be the same way you are doing business with that person. That is what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. It's not saying you must be a pastor or a preacher. Not everyone will be called to be to the fivefold ministry like we know it. But every single person is called to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So I pose a question to you. How effective are you as an ambassador? How well are you representing God? And you know, listen, the Bible says that till the knowledge of God covers the earth as waters cover the sea. The only way the knowledge of God will cover the earth the same way water covers the sea is if it, each and every one of us are, are effective as ambassadors because every ground is being covered by somebody. I may not be called to the fashion industry, but somebody is called to be an ambassador of Christ in the fashion industry. Another person may be called to be, um, to be a, a, a banker, for instance, or to be in the finance sector, represent Christ there. Another person may be called to, be, um, to run a school, Whatever it is, you are called to be an ambassador in every area of influence. And which is why we, are, we cannot all be the same thing. And God never designed for one person to be jack of all trades. Even those that are in ministries are even called to specific areas of ministries. All right? So please don't never forget this. You are an ambassador. That is who you are. If you are in the midst of people and, and, and you know, there's a pressure to succumb, you know, uh, like the Bible says, do not conform to this world. There's a pressure to conform to what people are doing just so that you don't feel out of the box. Listen, it is okay to feel abnormal. It is okay to not be like the rest of them because you're an ambassador, okay? You are an ambassador. And there are so many things about an ambassador, but an ambassador we may not be able to go into. But let me just make a, um, say some few points that an ambassador is backed by the government of the country he represents meaning that you are backed by the government of heaven. That is, heaven, if, <laughs> if 
the ambassador for America to Nigeria, if if you know all this one that, that we are saying Boko Haram, you know, all, all these things, if for any reason he is being kidnapped, listen, the, it is tantamount to war. The whole of the American forces will be deployed towards his case just to rescue him. He might be just one man or one woman, but because he's an ambassador, the resources of the whole America will be channeled to rescuing him. Imagine if a human, a fiscal country on earth can do this, how much more your heavenly country? The whole of heaven's resources will back you up the moment you realize that you are an ambassador, that is your identity. The moment you begin to operate in that identity, angels, material resources, heaven, um, heavenly su um, support, earthly favor, everything will channel towards you the moment you work in your identity as an ambassador, all right? So please never forget that. Um, okay, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Wherever you are, can you just tell yourself, I am an ambassador for Christ? You can say it again, I am an ambassador for Christ. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that, whoa, very powerful scripture. It says, um, for it says, for we are his workmanship. Hmm? That is, we are God's workmanship, meaning we are, we are we are fabricated by God. We were sculpted, we were created, we were intricately made by God. The, the details of our lives were, were, were made by the, the great one, the creator. Okay? It says, so we are God's workmanship. Look at what he says. He's created in Christ Jesus. They, my emphasis is in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus, okay? So it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, meaning created in Christ Jesus to do good works, um, which God beforehand had ordained that we should walk in. So God had created us to do good works. What is good works? Good works here simply means every action, whether word or action now that represents God on the earth. And that is good works. All right. And this, the, the broader, um, the, the more detailed um, explanation of this would include your purpose and, and all of that. Okay. But a summary, right, basically says every activity or every action that represents God on earth to people is considered as good works. So the Bible says that God intentionally made us to do these good works, okay, that he has ordained before. So how do we then do these good works? Um, let us go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Matthew, um, where's Matthew? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Please, someone should read for us. I have been reading all through and I forgot to to you know indulge us to read so social please do go ahead and read for us matthew chapter chapter 5 verse 14 to verse 16. anyone there matthew chapter 5 verse 14 to 16. anyone anyone there do i go ahead to read okay let me go ahead and read it matthew chapter 5 verse 14. It says that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Meaning that God doesn't see, God doesn't intend to hide us. All right. And that's why he's saying that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. God, God has put us 
on an elevated platform, on an elevated position, and so we cannot be hidden. Continue verse 15 says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or put it under a table or under a bowl, but, a, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto, unto all that are in the house. Meaning that when God lights your life, right, like a candle, when God lights your life, he doesn't put it, he doesn't hide it under a bushel. No, he, he doesn't hide it under a table or put it hidden anyway, in any way rather. He puts it on a candlestick for the purpose is for illumination. Don't forget this. Meaning the reason, part of the reason why you have been saved is for illumination. Part of the reason why God has made you the light of the world is for illumination. If a light, if light is hidden, then it is of no benefit to the people, to the people that are in darkness. All right. So it says, verse 16 now goes on and says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven or remember we said in in um, ephesians 2 verse 10 that we create where god's workmanship created to do good works right um that god has ordained us for then look at what verse 16 says that your light should so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven so what we do when our light shines forth, right, is that men see our good works, men see our character, men see the quality of our, our work, the excellence in our work, men see um, um, the, the demonstration of our expertise and character and all of that, right? Men see that and they see our good works, they see the manifestation of our purposes. And because of that, they glorify our Father in heaven, all right? And this is what it means to be an ambassador, one who lets his light to shine for the world to see. So I'm going to say this to us as an encouragement. You're an ambassador, don't hide your light. Don't keep your light hidden. Don't let your light be, um, be somewhere behind, you know, like people cannot see it. Let your light shine before men. Represent God, God is banking on you. It, it is such a huge privilege and, and a huge responsibility that God himself is banking on you to represent him in the world. But you also know what that means. It means that God actually even trusts you enough to represent him. So someone may look at himself and say, but who am I? I don't, what do I even know? I don't know anything. But God is saying that I trust you well enough to represent me in that business, in that office, in that company, in that sector, in that organization. I trust you well enough to represent me. And because the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, wherever God orders your steps to, it is because he trusts you well enough to represent him in that place. So again, my question to you is how well are you representing God Almighty? All right? So that's the first identity I want us to look at, that we're ambassadors in Christ Jesus. It is not a light, light thing to, um, to be an ambassador for the King of Kings. All right? We're an ambassador for Christ. Second thing I want us to look at is that in Christ, we are separated. We are separated in Christ. And and what that means really is holiness, right? Now, while many people in our generation might want to consider this as an old time message or old generation kind of message, but the issue of our holiness and you know sanctification and purity before God can never be old because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning if it was good yesterday, it will be good today and it will be good forever, all right? So I want us to explore this um, I want us to explore this carefully, okay? So, to start with, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to wrap up with, with this particular point. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. But so far, are we following? Do we understand what? Um, do we understand? Do we understand the section about ambassadors? Right? Let me know if you do. Drop it in the comments and let me know. I mean, you can even type in what's something that you know stood out for you. Let me just know that you, we are together and that you are following me. While we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Someone should please type, let me know you're following um, today's session so far and um, you're following up to this point. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All right. Yes, ambassador for, ambassador for Christ. Okay. God is indeed counting on me. Thank you. You are following. Thank you very much, Bayo. Anybody else following? Um, okay. Um, Esther raised your hand. All right. Thank you. Um, you're following. Thank you very much for that. All right, um, Mixelar, anything from you guys? Just let me know you are following, you are following us. Okay, Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Let me read so that we can um, wrap up soon. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. So it says that, um, sorry, sorry, I wasn't, okay, good, yeah. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but that is only possible and it's only domiciled in Christ. So remember, Christ is an economy that God has placed us in, all right? Um, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, everything we need for life and God in has given unto us, you know, in heavenly places, <clears throat> but it is only accessible to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 4 now says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Meaning God chose us right from the foundation of the world that we should be holy. So part of our identity in Christ is holiness. And let me say this, that you will never ever reach the fullness of your potential in Christ if you don't embrace the idea of holiness. And I'm going to explain what that means, you know, because for many people, when you say holiness, what comes to your mind is, oh, don't do this, don't do that, do this and do that. But I'm going to explain what holiness really means or the origin of holiness, you know. But he says that we are being, he has called us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love, not in fear, not in fear of hell, not in fear of, you know, God, you know, people have this idea that, have the subconscious image that God is with a hammer, that he's looking at them, and the moment they just misbehave, bam, he clamps them like that. No, that is, it's not the fear that drives us to holiness. It is love. He says um, that we should be, holy and without blame before him in love. Meaning that when we come to Christ, we bask in God's love so much that our drinking from his love compels us to be holy and blameless before him. All right? And so I'm going to explain that um, just in a bit, but let us read 2 Corinthians chapter four, chapter 6, sorry, verse 14 to, um, to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 14 to verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. So it says, 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness. So the Bible calls the believer righteousness. The Bible calls the believer light. It says, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? So the Bible calls the believer Christ, yeah? And what part hath he that believes with an infidel? So the Bible also calls um, the Christian a believer, okay? Verse 16 says, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So the Bible calls the believer the temple of God. And that says, for you are the temple of the living God as as God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, which is my emphasis, says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So the word separate is an important word. That God is saying, be separate, be uh, be." Be separated, sorry, be separated from them. And this is something I want to really, I want us to be, to, to understand as believers that even though we are in this world, the Bible says we are not of this world. The only identity, the only relationship we have in this world is because we are ambassadors to it. But we do not derive our sense of value from this world. We do not derive our direction from the world. We do not derive our sense of priority from the world, our way of lifestyle. Nothing is derived from this world. We are only in this world as ambassadors. So God is saying we should come out and be separate. If there is no distinction between your life and that of an unbeliever, then you have not yet embraced your full identity in Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying that, oh, you, you walk spooky, spooky, and you, you say, oh, no, you never talk to anybody in the world, and you just always stay in your shell. No. And that's why we looked at ambassadors first, because an ambassador, I would actively have to participate um, in and interact with the people in the country he has been sent to, but doesn't mean he's from that country. Neither does he mean he begins to behave like the people from that country. He only interacts with them because he needs to portray the image of his own country to these people, okay? So holiness means separation, mean, means being separated, and, and that's what sanctified, and what sanctified means. And I love to use this analogy because it's very um, practical for a lot of us, especially if you're Nigerian. You know, when you are growing up, how many of you, or maybe most of us, right, your parents, your father especially, especially the father, the mother might not, you know, might just be okay, but the father especially, the father had a dedicated plate, a dedicated cup, a dedicated tray, a, a dedicated spoon, basically dedicated utensils for his eating. And no matter the visitor that comes, the, the mother of the house will not serve the visitor with those utensils. He would only, she would only serve the husband or that's serve her husband now with those things. The children cannot go and touch it, all right? Now, it doesn't mean that those things were necessarily made of, of a different kind of material, but because it was, it had been set aside for the, for the father of the house, Nobody else could use it anyhow, all right? Now, that idea is what holiness really means. That you were once in the world, God took you out of the world, and he separated you to himself. And because he has separated you to himself, you can no longer be used by other things. You can no longer be used by lust. You can no longer be used by greed. 
You can no longer be used by um, fornication. You can no longer be used by, uh, um, by fear, by pity. No, because God has called you out for himself. So holiness begins with separation. It doesn't begin with a code of conduct. Now, because you are aware that you are separated unto God, you now tell yourself that, well, this thing these people are doing, I can't do it because now I no longer belong to myself. I belong to someone greater. So when people are smoking or, or drinking, you tell yourself, I cannot do what they are doing because I am now separated. So you now notice that the consciousness of your separation is what influences your code of conduct. So it, it, holiness doesn't begin with a code of conduct because the moment you don't, you begin to, you begin with a code of conduct, you'll be under a pressure to perform. And the pressure of performance will lead you to, to self-works, meaning will lead you to, um, to, to the works of the law. Meaning you are just trying to keep up and keep up so that you will become holy. No, you are only whole, you are, your 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 code of your code sorry your code of conduct is derived from the realization that you are separated onto someone special okay so for instance let's say in the in the in the among the discussion of plates the plate that is separated to the owner of the house to the husband right for instance that plate will tell the other plate and say you know I can't, I can't join you people and be discussing with, in, with noodles and all these funny things people are doing. It's not because I don't like people. It's just because I have been designated for only one use for, my, for, for the husband of the house. So they can, people can go ahead and, and serve, <coughs> serve visitors, serve children, serve anybody, anybody, any, you know what they say in, in Nigeria, anywhere, belay face, anything. You can go and do anything. But me, I cannot do anything because I am supposed to be used only for the husband, right, for the man in the house. Let me put it that way. It is the same way also you, your conduct, you and I now, our conduct are shaped by the realization of our separation to God. And that is really what sanctification is. So I said here in the slides that holiness doesn't begin with a code of conduct. It begins with and is fueled by the realization that you have been separated to a greater one through love. Without this realization, the demand for purity will be burdensome. And I want to emphasize something I said here. I said it will separate to a greater one through love. Okay. It is super important that, okay, let, let me let me read the next, next point and I'll explain what I, what I want to say. So I said here that the fuel for holiness, <coughs> the fuel for holiness and separation must always be love, not fear nor desire for public recognition, meaning what drives you to live a life separated to God must be the realization of how much God has loved you. When you think of the fact that God left his throne in heaven, he left all that he, he had access to. He became a man. In fact, that is already so humiliating that he took the form of his creation. Not only that, he now died the death on the cross, which is now the lowest form of death for his creation. It was low enough for him to be a man, but he now went even lower by being crucified, which is the, which is the lowest form of death, right? I, I, at least at that time, it was the most humiliating. And this, this great God went through all of this just for my sake. It will spur you, spur up an immense appreciation for his love for you. And once you realize how much he loves you, automatically you'll be indebted to him. And from that indebtedness, 
you, you would be fueled to live for him. So the realization of his love for you is what sponsors your separation to God. So you can never be as holy, you can never be more holy than your realization of how much God loves you. All right. And you know, in the body of Christ, a time came where we began to define holiness by certain conduct. You must cover your hair. You must not wear trousers. You must not do this. You must not dress like this. You must not do this kind of hairstyle, do all of that. And that automatically, you know, made people feel like, oh, once I can adhere to these rules and regulations, then I'm holy. And that brought a sense of self-righteousness. And any righteousness that is not in Christ it is, is, is not recognized in heaven. Any righteousness that doesn't have its basis in Christ is not recognized in heaven. And so that began to happen. And a lot of people, oh my God, a lot of people went into self-condemnation because when they made mistakes, they, were, they condemned themselves and the enemy found occasion for guilt to keep them down, you know? And um, it became, a, it was a serious issue. Other people came, you know, um, wolves in sheep's clothing. People that were not really living for God suddenly became, you know, said dressing outwardly like believers, but they were notorious inside, you know, and all of that happened. So holiness doesn't start with a code of conduct. It starts with the realization of that we are being separated to God because of his love. All right. Now let's read, I want to read something in um, Luke chapter 1 verse 74. And then we'll just read the last point and we're done. Luke chapter 1 verse 74. This was a prophecy by... By um, John the Baptist, sorry, by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, verse 74. Just want to show you that, that this is God's idea. Luke chapter 1, verse 74, right? It says, this was Zechariah now prophesying. It says that he would grant unto us that we might, that sorry, that we being delivered out of the hands out of the hand of the enemy might serve him without fear. So Zechariah was saying that, and this was a prophetic utterance, and I'll show you how it applies to us. Zechariah was saying that we um, that we been delivered out of the hand, <clears throat> out of the hand of the enemies, we might serve him without fear. So what God does is that He delivered us out of the hand of the enemy. What is our enemy in this context? It is sin. That God delivered us out of the hand of sin. All right. And the reason is so that we will serve him without fear. God, any service to God that is done with fear is not acceptable. No matter how much you how much you do for God, if your motivation is fear, it is not acceptable. If your motivation is fear of hell, hey, I don't want to go to hellfire, so let me just serve God. It is not acceptable. The only service to God that is acceptable is a service that is born out of love, that of his realization of, your, of his love for you and out of your love for him as well. Okay, so he says we should serve him without fear. Now, verse 75, he now goes on to say, so if we're not serving him in fear, how are we supposed to serve him? He says, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So the service to God that is acceptable is a service that is done out of love and it produces holiness and righteousness before God. All right, so I hope that is clear enough. All right, so I said here that, and just a further thought, concerning holiness, and we're going to wrap up with this, God only uses what is sanctified to him, meaning what is separated to him. God doesn't share, you know, you know, you know, in a house, for instance, any, you might, you might share spoons, share cutlery, share cups, share whatever I want to share, right? But God, when God comes to use a particular thing, he has to belong exclusively to him. That's why the Bible says God is a jealous God. He doesn't share his, his, 
his workmanship with others. So God only uses what is sanctified to him. He loves all men, but only uses those that are separated to him. So does God love the world? Yes. In fact, John 3, 16 says so. But will he use everybody in the world? Absolutely no. As much as he loves everyone, he cannot use everyone because his nature is, a, is, is holiness. So he only uses those that are separated unto him. And this, I can tell you for a certain, if you look at two believers' lives, this is the, the reason for the, for the difference in the manifestation of God in the believer's life. It's not because God loves one person more than the other. No. God loves everyone, right? But he cannot use everyone the same way because some people have devoted themselves to higher measures of sanctification than other people, right? And what I said here is that the quality of our service for God is determined by the quality of our separation to him. Let me take that again. The quality of our service to God, for, for God, sorry, is determined by the quality of our separation to him. Meaning how far God can use you is determined by how far you are separated to him. And it is in this area that the real difference comes. So if you see somebody manifesting a lot of God, I mean, you look at people, ministers of God, and even um, just normal Christians, and you see God using them a lot, and you tell yourself, oh God, I desire to be used. I'm telling you that God has dealt with them God, taking them through a process that has made them more sanctified unto him. And if you look at their lives, you see that you can tell for a certain that these people have devoted their lives to God. They have separated themselves to God. All right. And let me encourage every one of us here. Do you want to be used by God? I'm sure all of us answer yes. You desire for God to, um, to reveal himself through you, to do mighty things through you, whether in a business world, in a career, in ministry, whatever it is. First thing I'll tell you is separate yourself unto God. Be sanctified unto God. So, you know, when I see believers say, eh, but this is not a sin now, I already know that they are not, they are not sanctified. There's the concept of sanctification is not in their consciousness. So someone wears dress, dresses in this sense and says, eh, but it's not a sin. I anybody that looks at me and, and it's his own business. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it from a pure mind. You don't yet know the concept of sanctification. Someone is listening to secular songs and just, you know, worldly music, or dirty music, let me put it that way. And then he, there's no there's no caution inside. He's just listening and say, you know, and on some days I just want to I just want to jam up. You know now you know how the body won't do me. I just they jam up like that. And then he says on some days, you know, I just want to listen to Nathaniel Bassi and gospel music. You know, but some days my body just they hey I want I want vibe I want gyrate. And you're listening to secular songs because you are mixing both of them and you're saying hey, on some days I'm like this like that. You don't yet know the concept of separation unto God. God only uses what is sanctified to him. Never forget that, all right? So last scripture we'll read to buttress this point is 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Please, from the Good News Translation, somebody should help us. From the Good News Translation, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, 22. Someone should come to our rescue, please. Good news translation, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Anyone helping us? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 from Good News Bible. 
All right, let, let me read then, since no one is reading for us. So it says that, but the solid foundation that God has laid cannot be shaken. And on it are written these words, the Lord knows those who are his. And those who say that they belong to the Lord must turn away from wrongdoing. Verse 20, in a large house, they are all dishes, sorry, they are dishes and bowls of all kinds. Some are made of silver and gold, others of wood and clay. Some are for special occasions, others for ordinary use. Verse 21 says that those who make themselves clean from all those evil things will be used for special purposes because they are dedicated and useful to their master. Meaning that if you are not sanctified to God, you are not useful to God. Let me put it in plain terms. As, as, as um, harsh as that may sound, if you don't live a life of a sanctified life, you are not useful to God. Let me be honest with you. You might be a Christian and God will accept you that way. You know, he never rejects anyone, but he doesn't use everybody. He doesn't use every believer. It is only those that are sanctified to him. So you might... Someone might come to God and say, and just love the fact that, oh, I'm a Christian and I can, and that's all, at least the grace of God covers me and just be making excuses under the name, in the name of the grace of God. The Bible says that if you don't walk in purity and sanctification, you are of no use to God. He will love you, but you are not useful to his kingdom. You are not useful when God is looking for people to advance his kingdom. God will not consider you because he needs a sanctified life. So he needs a person with a sanctified life to for him to use okay so it says that because they are um is it because they are dedicated and useful to their master ready to be used for every good deed remember the bible says that we are, we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus for good works the only way we can live out those good works is through the process of of sanctification so this is a call for everyone of us here believers to live sanctified lives to live lives that are holy before god and remember I said, it doesn't start with a code of conduct. It first starts with a revelation and a realization that you are separated by God's love. And then the knowledge of that would influence your actions um, part time. Okay. And um, verse 22 here says, avoid the passions of youth and strive for righteous, righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who are called to those who with a pure heart call out to the Lord for help. All right. Okay, so um, that is it. Well, let's wrap up right here. Um, just again, say that we are sanctified. We are called unto God. Please never forget that. So two, two, two things we've looked at um, on our identities that we're ambassadors of Christ, and then we are also separated unto Christ Jesus. All right. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so we're, we're stopping here, and I want us to take questions if we have any questions before we go. Um, anyone with any question? Or we want to share with us something you learned today, and then we close. Share with us one thing we learned today, or a question you want to ask, and then we, we close, all right? Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Um, Esther, your hand is still up. Is that is that a question, or this was from the last, just the last time you were raising your hand? All right, anyone with question? No question. Okay, so what is one thing you learned today before we go? One thing you learned today 
um, from a Bible study? What is one thing you learned today that you are going home with? Okay, okay. Yes, I see your comment was from the last time. All right. So you can drop your hand down, just, you know, hands down from the, the same way you raise your hand, you can just drop it down. All right. Any, what do you learn today? One person, one person, what did you learn today? You can type for those of us on Mixella, please drop it in the um, comment section and I'll read it out to us. Oh, nobody. So does that mean we didn't learn anything? Well, we'll just start from beginning again. I will go through it. Okay, just kidding. But yeah, one thing you learned today, anyone? Okay. Oh. Okay. Hello. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Thank you so much for this teaching this evening. Thank um, you. Is it the misunderstand? Is it misconception of holiness? I think your teaching this evening clarifies um, and help me personally. Mm. The holiness is the realization that you belong to God first, and then God sets you apart and mm. use you. The holiness does not start with the code of conduct. Mm. I got that point seriously. As, um, as something very, very enlightening to me. It's very easy to say, I'm holy. I will not do this. I will not do that. Why you have not even been set aside yet? Mm -hmm. you, don't know, uh, you don't even know whether God has even set you aside. Copy mm -hmm. code of conduct, and we think we are holy. Thank you for that enlightenment. Thank I was you. telling you, you are teaching my, uh, part two of my message. That <laughs> I say, yeah, God, God loves everybody, but does not use everybody. Yes. The uh, individual is set aside. Then mm -hmm. God now can use. We we have this um, notion that. Once we give our lives to Jesus Christ, God can use us. Yes, giving our lives to Jesus Christ is a stage. But that consecration, that mm. set aside, and, and letting God know that we are just for him, not for anybody. I like the point that you made, that if you are set aside for God, Mm -hmm. You cannot be used by every other person or every other thing. Mm -hmm. It's like you, it's like you now. You love all of us that are listening to you, but your wife, your wife, that one yes. is you. That is how mm -hmm. we Jesus. God mm -hmm. loves each other, but there are those who are His. He can use them. He can entrust them with the truth, with the secret things of eternal life. So I really gained so much. I want to thank, thank you for down there, understanding. Thank you so much, mommy. I mean, this, by the way, this is my mommy. For those that don't know, thank you so much. Oh, yes. Thank you. 
Okay, great. I, I want to say something just in addition to what she said. You know, the Bible says many are called, few are chosen. The difference between the called and the chosen is that the chosen ones have sanctified themselves for the master's use. So everyone, all of us have calling in God, in God, but not everybody, right, eventually will fulfill that calling because sanctification is the is the difference. Thank you very so much for that. Um, to me, you are muted at some point. Do you want to say something? Um, to me, do you want to say something? Okay. Sorry? No, okay, 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 that's fine. All right, great. Um, so let's close with a word of prayer. And I have two announcements um, before we go, but let's close with, with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the power of your scripture. Lord, we ask that as we've heard this word today, we will receive from your word the grace to live out as a, live our lives as ambassadors for you and also to live in true holiness, in purity, and in righteousness so that we will be qualified for greater use in your kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, is there anybody joining us today for the very first time? Please let us know who you are and so that we can welcome you properly. Just tell us your name, tell us who invited you or how you got to know about us and then where you are joining us from. Anyone like that, please? Anyone joining us for the very first time? Please let us know your name and um, just tell us who, who you are, where you're joining us from and you know who invited you and who invited you or how you found out about us. Anyone like that? Okay, no one. All right. All right, so first announcement is that we are having a fiscal, our last fiscal meeting in Lagos. We're having it on the 27th of November. 2021 this is i think three weeks from now or thereabouts um or two weeks or so or three weeks from now something like that right so it's by 1 p.m and that is the address on this on the slides right so i'm going to share this we're going to post this um we're going to post this on our, on our social media channels and also on the whatsapp group oh thank you very much christy christy you are new in our midst thank you can you just tell us um, who invited you or where you are um, or how you found out about us and also where you are joining us from please can we welcome sister christy everyone just welcome her in the group chat in the chats and um, welcome to our you know our bible study of the borderless christian community please who invited you or how did you find out about us and oh awesome awesome oh wow thank you so much ma for joining us. Oh, so your daughter Chioma invited you. Thank you so much, Ma, for joining us. We are really, really privileged and we're happy that you joined us. Thank you so, so much. Thanks so, so much. God bless you, Sister Christy. Um, um, I hope you had a good time. I hope we were, able, we were able to learn one or two things. God bless you so much. All right. Um, so we have, oh, thank God for that. All right, great. So, like I said, we have a fiscal meeting in, um, in Lagos, meaning we're meeting physically and we do this once in a while. But this is the last one we're having for this year. And it is titled Prayer and Prophecy. We want to understand the priestly and the kingly ministry of the believer. 
Again, this is still under our identity series and it's going to be a super, super powerful session fiscally. So please um, book, mark the date on your calendar, 12, I'm sorry, 1 p.m. 27th of November. That's a Saturday, all right? And guess what? One more announcement is that we are having the same meeting in Abuja in the month of December, all right? So we're coming to Abuja for a fiscal meeting on the 11th of December um, by 12 p.m. So please, if you are in Abuja that period, um, make sure you attend or do well to attend. And if you are not, please intentionally select, you know what, let's make this very practical. Think of three people that are in Abuja, your friends, your family, anyone, right? Think of three people and send the flyer to them, specially invite them, tell them, we're coming to Abuja for a fiscal meeting and there's going to be a, an amazing time together, all right? So again, we will make the um, flyer and the you know, resources available online so you can share it with everyone. Okay, thank you very much everyone for joining us tonight. I hope you are blessed again. So we meet next week, um, same time, same link, you know, like I always say, same Holy Spirit. By the way, prayer clusters, most of you that registered should have been added to a um, to a WhatsApp group by now. So prayer clusters have started. We're putting everyone in their groups and we start effectively praying, I believe, from next week. So this week, we're guiding, make, sorting out everyone. If you haven't joined prayer clusters, please do so. Um, do so with the link I'm dropping right now in the comment section, all right? I'm dropping the link in the comment section right away. So just follow the link and you will join a prayer cluster. Thank you very much once again. God bless you, everyone. Have a lovely, lovely um, rest, the many parts of your day. Bye.